All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is time for Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd, and I'm your host for the next 37 or so minutes. And we've got another exciting topic. And if you've been registered to watch this, and you're indeed watching it live, which is how I encourage you to experience this in all of its glory, well, thank you for joining us, first of all. But also, I hope you're as excited as I am. We're here to talk about DevSecOps, one of the longer portmanteaus of words that have emerged out of uh, uh, as things continue to change in our IT environments, as we cloudify, as we get more agile, which speaking to a previous Tech 37 where we had covered but could not go as far as we wanted to, and one of our experts today actually was on that show, and this is him paying us back, saying, Rob, you wanted to take this further? Today is the show that we do that. All about DevSecOps and how do we, how do we mitigate the potential challenges with asking security to do something different than they've done before, but while we always stay focused on securing the business in such a way that hopefully nobody notices, but we're still able to accelerate, get more stuff done, and make more money and all the things we care about. Well, you're watching Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. My name again, Rob Boyd. I guess I gotta say that enough times. Let's just go ahead and meet the experts, shall we? Okay, we need some other names on the show here because I keep saying my name over and over again, which is a, just a good clue to say it's time to introduce the real people that we're here to hear from. So I'm going to do what I normally do, guys. First of all, thank you so much for being here. Um, let's start with the gentleman on his repeat performance here, Mr. John Evans. We've got two Johns, so just to make things simple, I may refer to you, Mike, as John, just to, uh, just to keep it clear, and I'll just keep calling on John, but you answer as needed. But John Evans, can you tell us what you do uh, for Worldwide Technology? Refresh us on that one and um, anything else that you are you want to kick off for the discussion. We'll do the rest of the introductions after that, too. Sure. Uh, John Evans, Chief Technology Advisor with Worldwide. Uh, been here a uh, little over a year and a half now, actually. So starting to, starting to really settle in. Um, I do a lot with uh, security and cloud. So uh, DevSecOps is sort of a natural intersection between, um, you know, those 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 two. So I'm uh, happy to be here and looking forward to talking to everybody else. Um, if you like, I could give a little bit of an intro about what DevSecOps kind of is, or we could wait till after we go around maybe and I could jump yeah, into that. Hold on one what second, because I think after I introduce these guys, I'm going to make it easier for them to interrupt, which is what you guys all know that I encourage everyone to do. So let's just keep going around the horn, but I'm going to come back to that because I definitely want to hear that from you. But uh, Mike Schmidt, Mike, can you introduce yourself? What do you do for Worldwide and uh, what brings you here? Yeah, sure thing. Hey, so my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm out of uh, North Carolina. I've been with WWT about two and a half years. Um, I'm on a our uh, cloud consulting team uh, focused on uh, cloud security. So focused on cloud and um, also the uh, to John's point, where does security fit into the DevOps story? Um, how do we get security teams in the cloud to move at the pace of agile development groups? and um, create more collaboration between those. So I'm um, looking forward to the conversation today. Did everybody, were they able to be able to hear Mike get through his introduction despite the finger pushing issues that I had on my side? My apologies, Mike, for doing that. I was just so happy that these new buttons that I had installed on its touchscreen were working so well, and then they worked too well. And I fat fingered these bigger buttons, which were supposed to prevent that. But thank you for joining us, Mike. I appreciate that. Um, I promise, I probably, I, well, I shouldn't promise. John Pearson, can you uh, introduce yourself, please? And I'll try to make sure that we don't interrupt you. And we can't do that with John just yet because right at that moment, okay, good, you're back. Well, this is going to be a show where we uh, expose exactly how many things can go wrong. Uh, but John, please, uh, you were going to introduce yourself, I believe. 
Yeah. So actually, I was going to say, Mike gave me a perfect layup for it, too. And then um, apparently I hung up instead. But uh, I actually, so I'm John Pearson. I'm the director of delivery engineering. Our group is is primarily focused on developer enablement, uh, making devs' lives easier, in a sense. Um, been with Worldwide for about four years now. So Mike was speaking to, you know, how do we enable these development teams to move at the speed of Agile? And that's exactly where our group is kind of focused, too. So how do we integrate Excellent. the security aspect of, of what we do? I'm glad I'm not the only one that does that mute button thing sometimes when I hang up really fast. Uh, the old Cisco hardware-based phones that I used to use a lot, I would get excited and go that, and I'm like, hey, where is everybody? <laughs> All right, that's one mistake for me, one mistake for you. For those keeping score at home, Mike and John are still clean. We'll leave them on the board. But with that, let's go to John. John, you were wanting to talk about DevSecOps, which is a great way to kind of, let's make sure we're a level set on a definition, and I encourage the rest of you, of course, to jump in with this one. But, John, what's important? Uh, in terms of how you define DevSecOps? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll back up a second here and just give a little bit of context around just to make sure everyone's kind of on the same page. Uh, by name, DevSecOps is just an abbreviated combination of the words development, security, and technology. But it's it's more than just the words, obviously. So what, is the, what does it really mean? Um, it means you need to combine all three of the major teams involved in your software development activities make sure that they're all operating off of common practices, uh, make sure that they're all driving towards common outcomes. And that can really have a powerful effect for, for business. I think, uh, you know, people who are listening today are probably, uh, you know, fairly aware of what some of those outcomes have, have been. But, you know, the one other thing I wanted to mention is, um, and, you know, um, would love to hear from, from uh, uh, John and Mike about this, but uh, to me, DevSecOps is all about collaboration. Um, you know, it started with DevOps, security was sort of a natural ex extension of that. Um, but the underlying purpose behind DevSecOps is really to bring together all the relevant teams that are involved in developing and deploying your new cap capabilities. Um, it, by doing so, you are able to drive outcomes, uh, benefits such as faster time to value, lower, lower risk, uh, better code quality. So uh, just figured I'd start there, sort of the high level description kind of give the overview. Yeah, let's round that out a little bit because I, you know, I was struck by both our previous conversations on this topic as well as now is that to a certain extent when you talk about the need to improve communication among groups that historically really haven't, maybe they haven't even had to communicate that much or, you know, if you go back five, 10 years, we just didn't have this presence of developers, for instance, being such a core central key part of how the business was operating as no matter what industry you're in, you're in the technology business these days and developers are probably a key part of, of how you stay competitive. Uh, Mike, uh, coming to you, what's important to understand? Is it more than just communication perhaps, uh, or what would you add to uh, his definition? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, traditionally, we look at a lot of things in IT around the ideas of people, process, and technology, and uh, DevOps and an extension of that DevSecOps really focuses on the first two of, of people and process. So uh, most times we know what we're trying to get to from a technology standpoint. We understand requirements, but the biggest issue is who's going to be able to implement that, what process exists to get from A to Z, and um that's exacerbated a bit in cloud compared to on-prem. Uh, On-premises networks, you can usually keep those teams pretty uh, segmented um, with traditional process, but in cloud, um, things like security are built into every hosted service. And um, what we tend to see is uh, developers and operations are the ones really leading the charge in the cloud, building these apps, um, trying to pr provide something to their end customer 
and uh, security has to play catch up a bit because uh, those teams are just moving much quicker, frankly. And at the same time, um, you know, developers are are hired to develop, and and while folks have a security hat on, a lot of times uh, we also need a, an equalized security team there uh, that can move at the speed of development um, while still not stepping on the developers' toes. So it's a it's a fine balance, but when it's done right, it's really smooth and efficient and allows it, uh, companies to grow and scale in the cloud. Pearson, what do you think? Yeah, so Mike, Mike keeps setting me up for these layups. Uh, we talk about people, process, and technology when it comes to DevOps, and those are in that specific order on purpose, right? The people aspect is the most important. Uh, and then you have the process. The technology is just like, uh, you know, you can, you can build a wall with a hammer or a, a screwdriver or a handful of other tools, but ultimately it's it's just the tool that's getting the job done. The technology is the same way here. We're, what we're looking for is outcomes. Um, and so it, this is exactly the same. It, we, we're focused on how do we enable the people to do the things that they need in a way that's safe. Um, the rest is just the details. Well, I'm struck by something, two things. One of which is when you talk about uh, there's a mismatch in speeds, I'm going to paraphrase uh, because of also previous conversations that we have had as a group. Uh, but Mike, when you're talking about kind of the developers moving at a certain speed, generally the whole business is kind of at that speed based on how how well they're doing at code deployments and, and accelerating changes. And, you know, and that's a separate discussion that we've had on this show before about how to, how to make those things go faster. But now we're talking about a, a security group. Uh, and I don't remember which one of you guys gave me this example. I think it was from one of your clients. But you'd said, you know, you've got developers who are who are pushing to do code releases, let's say, on a daily basis, sometimes faster, um, compared to a security department that then goes, well, wait, you've got to get the submit that part of the process in. We've got two weeks to do a review of that code before we can submit it back. And that obviously is a non-starter. Those two things can't coexist in the business you know, move in security never wants to be seen, of course, although they always seems like they quite often are, is the, the disenablers uh, of so much business for the sake of security. Um, but I'm really also just struck by the big gap in people that most of the security departments I know that haven't made this jump, look at this and go, this is a big mountain you're asking us to suddenly do. And so I wonder if we can, and obviously we're going to give some tips here on, on how we approach that. But um, is it a, so speed mismatch? We've got the collaboration, and then we've got something that seems rather almost insurmountable to say, well, how are we going to move that fast to go from two weeks to daily and kind of co lead the business in that? Is that really possible for security to get to? Um, so, yeah, I can jump into that. Um, you know, for folks that kind of have seen the history of DevOps, maybe a fan of the Phoenix Project, really popular book, um, there's this idea of the, the theory of constraints. You know, you're only as quick as your slowest component, right? So um, on-premises, we typically go in kind of a waterfall methodology, kind of step-by-step, step, and maybe security is the last piece. They might deny something, and then it really starts to, at the beginning. And we kind of got away with that because we didn't have to deploy 100 times a day. Um, but that's kind of the modern developer architecture anymore is um, CICD, continuous deployment and, and uh, integration. And what happens is those existing security teams are still potentially in that slower, very methodic, methodical, very manual process. Methodical? Yeah, yeah. Methodical, I was picturing two different words uh, as well. I would have messed that up. Yeah, okay. I, I combined a few. Um, but yeah, ultimately a manual process. And right. uh, the ways that we work with customers to help speed that up is really understand, um, you know, it's just collaborating between teams, as we've mentioned, but really, you know, letting your security teams kind of sit into the developer side of the house um, understanding common requirements and then how we tend to speed that up is 
things like service templates, automation, um, guard railing, you know, anything that we can do kind of behind the scenes to build golden templates for these developers um, without manually having to approve or deny. And, um, and developers like that too, right? Because developers and security are kind of generally common enemies, but uh, we tend to bring more collaboration and, and more, uh, you know, group membership there, uh, especially in cloud where a lot of this is focused. Gotcha. Um, so here's the thing I'm thinking, you know, to be fair, my experience with everyone in security I've worked with is I think there's a great argument to be made that we need the people who are saying, wait, slow down. Let's make sure we're doing the right things for the right reasons and that we've we've done the homework prior. And so I think everyone needs a little bit of that maturity because things get carried away. But that makes for a good business, right? When we're focused on the same outcomes, but yet we all have our responsibility and our disciplines uh, that we're carrying forth with that. Uh, uh, Evans, I'm using last names here just to be clear. I want to bring up the article that you recently wrote. Do you mind if I start on that now? Because I think some of the structure that Mike's starting to get into, best practices. Screw it. I'm going to do it. Okay. So you wrote an article. <laughs> you wrote an article um, about uh, as more information had finally become public around solar winds and what had actually happened, at least, as far, you know, and even what could be read into. And we're certainly not here to say that if solar winds had a DevSecOps approach, and I'm sure they do to some extent, um, this is more about saying, using that as a, as a way to say, here's seven things that you outlined in your article, and I was really impressed with this, that said, these are good best practices that you were reminded of and or triggered just from some of those things in that incident. It was around developing, uh, I'll go through all seven, but let's start with, instead of read them out, I'm going to start with DevSecOps pipeline was the number one thing you mentioned. What is a DevSecOps pipeline and, and how does that fit into a best practice? So the, Dev, the DevSecOps pipeline is the process that the code follows from the time when it's being developed and then committed um, into the pipeline by the, uh, uh, by the developers. And then it will go through um, multiple types of checks, uh, uh, operational as well as security checks. One of the things I think that's really important to mention here, though, is something that um, that that Mike just 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 hit on. Well, two things actually, I think that he hit on that are. Uh, some of the most important concepts behind um, this DevSecOps CI/CD pipeline concept, and that's automation and continuous feedback loops. Um, you can't have security. Uh, I, I mean, well, I'd be interested to hear if there's a difference of opinion, but from my experience, you can't have security operate anything close to the speed of the agile development teams unless you're heavily employing automation um, and then also continuous feedback loops. The, the sooner that you can let the development teams know that there's a problem with the code, um, the more receptive they are to it, you're not, you're not, as Mike gave a great example, you know, it goes through the whole process, then it gets to security, kick back to them, that causes a, uh, a whole lot of issues with the development teams, because now they got to redo their pieces, stops them from right. making the progress that they want to make. Um, so the sooner, you know, the more of that continuous feedback that you can have in the process, the sooner you let them know that there's a problem with the code, uh, it's much better for the security team and the development team really helps kind of foster that that harmony there um, but you can't do um, anything close to getting you, you can't get anywhere close to there uh, to to matching the the development of the agile team speed really unless you're heavily employing some of that automation and I like the example that Mike gave there of of security waiting until the end versus a continuous feedback loop so wanted to highlight that and it addresses the speed mismatch we talked about yeah go ahead Pearson uh, no, I was just going to say, the later you find those mistakes or, or issues and have to make changes later into the process, the more expensive that becomes, too. So being able to save that money, like it, a fix 
immediately after a piece of code is committed is much less expensive to change than uh, you know six months later when you're finding it because of a you know some sort of severe um, you know breach or you know something catastrophic of that nature. Right. Yeah, and 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 but and really it's it's almost the CI/CD equivalent from the security perspective in terms of just this continuous thing implies that that it means that there must be a communication uh, happening on that ongoing basis as well. So, well, with the DevSecOps pipeline approach, um, I don't, I don't know if you really said what that's important. So on the pipeline, what is it that you're saying there? Cause you mentioned in the article about doing a, um, uh, was it IAST uh, based approach? What is that? Yeah. So, uh, that's interactive application security testing. That's, uh, one example of sort of the automation okay, that's what that, that we okay. place. Yeah, that's uh, um, and IAST also it it gets um, um, you can can you can typically scan sooner in the process than you'd be able to typically with like a SAST or a DAS type of solution. So it gets you close to that continuous feedback loop also. So I talked a little bit more about the benefits and related it back to what Mike and John were talking about versus the, the actual tech technology. And you know the reason I did that partially is because John, John Pearson is absolutely correct. The technology is secondary to to the processes and the people. So um, that's just kind of why I focus there versus on the on 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 the tech. But yeah, it, yeah, it no, all right. ties in. And I'm just pulling stuff out of your article that I thought was interesting and that I didn't yeah. really know what it was. So I'm like, yeah, I forgot to look IAST up because you mentioned yeah SAST DAST. I love it. Every new technology set always comes with a new set of acronyms to make sure it's real. Uh, well, let's keep moving forward because we got six more to cover. The other one, and this, this is where we start getting into because some of these always overlap to just good security practices. These are things that ideally you should be done should be done already. But in this vein, number two is adopt robust access management. Uh, I know any of you guys can comment on this stuff. So let me go to Mike. Um, uh, Mike, why is access management particularly important in this situation? Yeah, I mean, pretty much all cloud uh, revolves around access management. You know, the, the main ideas, especially in hosted services and SaaS and whatnot, um, it's transitioned from just, you know, an IP access layer on-prem to everything's an API call. And those API calls are allowed or denied based on, do you have a token with the right authorization? And so everything's related to your identity in cloud and what you can and can't do. Um, the comment I'd make even back on the uh, the previous item was that, um, you know, where John and uh, John were talking about, you know, security and code itself as part of a developer pipeline. I would say there's a similar need with a security team to have their own pipeline because as they establish their own policies, procedures, et cetera, they also need to build those in a agile fashion. And where, where a pipeline is really important is you have integrations in the code repositories and documentation and, and you know, it goes back into access as well as who can edit, say, the golden template? Has that been approved? Has it gone through automatic uh, testing as well as a manual check? Um, so it's all related. That may be condensed into a single platform or each team's managing their own. Um, but the scope of DevSecOps to me, there is a, a separate viewpoint from, say, a developer looking at this system, a security person looking at the system, as well as operations actually deploying something like a template, right? So. It's a really interesting thing, and, and a lot of that comes back to identity as kind of the core component that locks all the uh, access patterns together. Um, but I'd be interested, you know, what John has to say as well. So I was actually thinking that the other piece that we haven't really touched on as much is applying some of these things to like infrastructure as code and building up that operations piece as well. Uh, specifically with IAM stuff, 
you can build a lot of things that enable self-service automations that were previously really long drawn out processes, right? Like I need a new virtual machine to deploy this thing to, or I need a new uh, Kubernetes namespace or something like that. Whereas, you know, olden days, not necessarily Kubernetes, but you're, you're submitting some sort of service ticket and then waiting, you know, your seven to 10 business days for that thing to be created before you can even start trying to see if it, did I actually request the right thing? Whereas if you are setting up these IAM um, properties in advance and you're enabling your developers to sort of have the self-service capability, all of that's handled for you. And you know that your security is meeting the requirements because it's all you know sort of pre-configured as part of this pipeline. Well, there's one point, uh, Evans, that you made in your article uh, in this category uh, that we're in on, on uh, authentication and access management. It was a notion of everybody should be doing uh, MFA or multi-factor authentication. Um, but specifically when checking in code each time, that is a key spot where that checked in code should only be done from someone that's been, that's passed that multi-factor authentication or MFA test. Um, is that, is that indeed remain a key point? Absolutely. I think that that's, you know, if you, if you look at, um, the SolarWinds incident, going back to that, there's only, you know, there's a few probable ways that the malicious code got inserted. Something was either able to bypass the guardrails in the system, uh, uh, which, you know, um, if it came in, you know, after the commit phase, then there was something wrong with their logging and auditing and some of their other guardrails, or it came in, you know, at the commit phase, and if they had MFA in place, then that would have stopped it at that point. Um, or, you know, there's always the possibility of an insider threat, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that in one of the other, um, you know, in one of, in one of the other mm -hmm. kind of recommendations that we talk about there. But, um, you know, if we think about that, about that incident specifically, there's a few places where it's likely that something probably got in, uh, um, and and I'm I'm ba I'm basing that on um, uh, their annual report where they came out and said okay. that it was due to a lack of secure development uh, processes uh, that this that this whole thing happened. So, um, you know, just what they gave in there, there's a few likely places where it, it, it could have gotten in. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we cover those, but one of those places is at the commit phase. And if MFA was, was, was in place, um, it would be much more difficult for someone to insert malicious code there. So that's, yeah. that was part of the, the reason behind that, that recommendation. Well, I remember the big talk was when, when that was first becoming public is obviously it, it hit a lot of federal agencies and different things like this, but it was just this notion of what we need to be looking at our supply chain. And I'm like, well, who has access rights? I mean, it's just, why would you not be looking at anything that's got any measure? Because that's, uh, what is it? Hacker credo number one, which is just kind of leverage uh, authority that you can establish and then kind of, uh, and, and jump left, jump right, see what you can do to uh, escalate privileges. But you mentioned this already because number third on the number third number third on the list is established guardrails, uh, but you went a little bit further and you talked about red teaming to make sure that those guardrails are indeed doing what you think they're doing and establishing some alerts. Um, uh, could you comment further on that uh, with anything that's important to extract in that third point? Yeah, no, I think you kind of hit you know the 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 key points there. Um, you're going to want to put the guardrails in place, and you're going to want to test the guardrails. You're going to want to make sure that they that they work the way that they're intended. Um, you know, I I, it, I think it ties in here, but it ties in frankly to a lot of the different kind of things that we're talking about. Um, what Mike said about um, you know um, making sure that it's all sort of a cohesive team. It really gets back to sort of that 
so like cross-functional teams have been a discussion point in the development on the agile side for a long time you want people who understand not just how to develop but also understand the infrastructure understand the different pieces associated with it and i think it's important um you know in this one but across the board when we're talking DevSecOps. The security teams, I, you know, I don't think that that mindset has made its way into the security teams as much. It's sort of an established best practice, something you look for in the development teams. But if I'm if I pull the thread on what Mike was saying a little bit earlier, um, I think it's becoming much much more important that the security teams now are also cross cross functional, that they understand the development processes, they understand agile, um, and. I don't know, maybe you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't at uh, the lack of that understanding across a lot of the security teams that I that I engage with. So I thought that was an excellent point. It's timely here, timely across a lot of the recommendations, frankly, but I wanted to make sure we pulled that thread a little bit more. That's a good point. Pearson, are you going to say something? Yeah, thanks. I um I was actually just going to say that's that's a, an area that we focus on within the uh, the application software development group within Worldwide. We actually have a, a reasonably small security group that we embed into our software development teams. Uh, and on absolutely every project, one of the things that we're doing to you know, additionally work on that aspect is we nominate someone as a security RP, which is like a responsible person. And their goal is basically just, hey, as we're doing this development, we need somebody who's uh, specific, like everyone is security minded, but we want somebody who's going to raise their hand and say, I am going to be, you know, explicitly responsible in addition to whatever else that is I'm doing on the team to make sure that we're thinking about all of these things in a security checklist. So we're making sure that our code scanning and our pipelines are, are done correctly. And we're, we're thinking about stuff like that MFA and those guardrails and that sort of thing. And then pulling in uh, the security experts sort of across the board for anything that's above and beyond just basic standard security practices kind of thing. Yeah, good coverage. Mike, did you? You don't have to add anything. I'll keep going. I'm, I'm I mean, I, just uh, <laughs> I, I agree with that. If I if I'm coming more from the security angle of maybe what a typical IT operation looks like, um, yeah, the, the biggest thing that I would say is we love the idea that developers have security in mind, um, but then we just have to look at the use cases of. Uh, you know, what can a security focused resource look at from the bigger level governance, compliance, um, everything else that relates to the ecosystem of the application that we're trying to deploy. And we can instill best practices, but um, it's still a, a good thing to have that oversight, a second set Absolutely. of eyes, whether that's manual or automated. Um, and I think that's what we're talking about today is really integrating in a way that we're not stepping on each other's toes. Um, to encourage teams to basically work together more. Um, and understanding how to walk goal. in each other's shoes. Because mm -hmm. let's be honest, I, I think any one of us, because it's a very much, in my mind, a human trait that um, let's say I'm a developer and that I fully understand the need for security, but I'm now under the gun. I've got to get something done faster. I've run out of time. I've run out of runway. What's the first thing I'm going to give up uh, that may be adding time to a process that I feel pressured on, it's going to be the security steps because they're considered antecedent or extra to, uh, to, to what I want to accomplish with, with working code, potentially. I'm not saying everybody does that, but I think there's a, there's a desire potentially to do that to bypass under pressure. But if you have good guardrails in place, you have good processes, and then the checks and balances and the communication is there, I do think that you can nip those things to where it becomes part of your culture, which is really sounds like what we're pushing for here. When we talk about this people side is this has got to be part of your, you set these systems in place, but ultimately all that are just systems that no one really cares about unless you have a culture that, that 
is integrated kind of in a, in a wholesome manner with those. Is that okay in the way I'm phrasing that or do I need to be corrected? Cause please feel free. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say quick and I can pass it on is, um, uh, we have to think about the what ifs uh, if we don't have this kind of system set up. And we've seen it with many customers that if a developer team needs to do something in the cloud and they're under the gun and the security team hasn't provided what they need to, uh, cloud offers a lot of ways to bypass those controls. Now, mm, we obviously want, we want guardrails in there, especially codified guardrails that you know explicitly will deny a user from doing X, Y, and Z. But um, especially if manual processes are being adopted from on-prem into the cloud, uh, those can be easily bypassed and developers are very smart people. Um, they understand cloud probably better than anybody. And uh, so again, that's what we're trying to encourage is get these people talking more um, because if, if it's still adversarial in the cloud, um, it's gonna cause more issues down the road. And I think that's, you know, we look at a lot of these breaches and stuff. There's a little, a, a few minor things that lead to large scale issues. Um, that we could have nipped in the bud early on. Yeah, boy, right to your timing and sharing early and often and that type of thing so that things don't get too deeply embedded. You know, they say that thing when you, what is it? When, you, when you're digging really hard and you find yourself, uh, you got to dig, you got to quit while it's a rut and before it becomes a grave, something like that. I can't remember how that saying goes. I'm always going to whip out the half-ass sayings. Okay, excuse my language. Four, uh, gain visibility. Uh, John Evans, I want to ask you about this one because I think, for one, I first chuckled when I read this because, uh, you know, uh, monitoring your logs and doing things like this feels like something we've been saying forever. Uh, but you had an additional twist on it. It goes to what Mike's saying about the importance uh, differences in terms of cloud. And you had an Amazon example in there about understanding your logs and what you're looking at and what needs to be thought of differently using Amazon as an example. Could you expand on that? Yeah, sure. So I, I probably went too deep on the technical side a little bit there. I, oh, sorry, I keep drawing you back in. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> but I like those examples. They kind of prove the points. Anyway, humor me for a minute. What's important? No, what no. makes different? And yeah. briefly, yeah. So, you know, I, I gave a, a sample reference architecture of how you might make sure that your logs are immutable, making sure that nobody can change them, make sure that they, uh, you know, make sure that the integrity of the logs um, uh, allows you to actually verify that, uh, you know, what actions were uh, taken in your, in your environment. Um, you don't want to get into a situation where you can't identify potential issues, such as how a change might have been, might have been, might have been made. So the immutability, the integrity of your logs becomes su supremely important. Um, the other side of that, though, is you want to make sure that you're capturing everything that you should be in these logs. So if you, if you don't have the proper logs, you know, they can be, um, very, uh, they, they can be immutable. They can, they all, you know, all the integrity can be there, but if you haven't captured the right stuff to be, to, to begin with, then you're sort of in the same boat anyways, where you, you, you don't, you don't have the knowledge you need to kind of figure out what might've gone, gone wrong if an incident does, it does occur. So, um, you know, I think the one point that I, I make there that I'll highlight here is a lot of times I think organizations can really benefit from bringing in people who have done this across other organizations. They may overlook things. They may miss things um, that are, in fact, Im Im important. Um, so having some experts uh, like, you know, maybe Mike or John's teams come coming in and uh, helping to tell you these are the, you know, these are problems that we've seen and seen in the past. You want to make sure that you are fully capturing everything. These are some things uh, that we really recommend. So don't I worry, I'm I'm not going to let us go here in a you know shortly, but I'm not going to let us go without asking you for some recommendations of any experts that you might know. Um, but 
hold that thought for a second longer, though. I want to get through these because I apologize, but I think this one is important. I just mentioned as a moment. Number five is enforce separation of duties. Again, that's a classic. Uh, have your roles. Make sure you're staying on top of your roles. In the same way that you know, uh, we focus so hard as businesses on onboarding people, we need to offboard them, <laughs> and we need to. And when roles change, we need to remove. Uh, access rights that don't make sense for their role and the checks and balances that go with that. You know, you can't have that kind of scope creep type of thing with role creep uh, happening in here. And you make the very good point there. And then also back to the very first one where you talked about uh, the DevSecOps pipeline is now a number six. You say harden the pipeline. Uh, basically, you say harden everything. And um, does that need any additional color or does that just make sense on its own? Uh, well, it probably does. I, you know, just really, really, really quickly going back to the separation of duties. Um, yep. That really is uh, a lot of that's an insider threat type of issue. Um, mm -hmm. it, there's the possibility that somebody could insert malicious code uh, without the separation of duties. Things like pair pair programming perhaps even kind of falls into that oh, into that point. realm okay. where you've got uh, multiple people kind of checking the code out. Um, I, there are some use case I read a while back. I could try to pull it up if anyone's interested, but um, it was around um, um, insider threat in the financial industry in the banking in, in the banking industry. And they found that once uh, this organization switched over to pair programming, their, um, um, uh, all of a sudden they were able to find money basically that was going somewhere else in the uh, past. So oh, um, yeah, so just kind of interesting there, but then harden, harden the pipeline, you know, like it says, you wanna, or like like you were saying, you wanna make sure that you that you harden everything. There's a lot of communities out there. Uh, there's a lot of best best practices for it. Um, it can be a little bit overwhelming to try and navigate your way through all the guidance, all the communities out there. So, again, another plug for our for our uh, uh, experts here who can who can who can help with that along the way. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it's seen as a as a kind of what you were saying earlier, and John said this too. A lot of times, security is seen as sort of a sunk cost. You don't really see the benefit of it. People need to move. They see the benefit of the developed code. But spending a, lot, a little bit of time and money up front to get these things right is really going to save you later. Yeah. Well, I, to be fair, I think you corrected me. You said, Rob, my, my title's chief technology advisor. So you're just advising us. You're just letting us know, hey, here's some smart people that you should be working with to get this kind of thing done. Um, let me let me hit the last point so we can seal off the, the seven points. But the seventh one is deploy signature-based authentication. Um, that's different, obviously, uh, you know, in, in terms of some of the other checks and balances that we're doing there, but uh, who wants to comment on on the importance here and what may be unique in the DevSecOps world as it pertains to uh, today's conversation? Uh, so maybe I'll start with that just because I've, I've had some recent conversations there. Um, so we have uh, micro-segmentation in its own has been a, a discussion point for many years now, east-west segmentation versus traditional north-south. You know, what do you do within the VLAN within a typical IP scheme? So there's been a lot of solutions there that um, whether agent based or some other method, you know, give you an extra granularity, uh, say within the same subnet, not allowing server A to talk to server B, you know, pretty, pretty uh -huh. basic example. Um, but what we're seeing in cloud especially is uh, the, the scope at which we're expanding uh, either resources in the same cloud provider. If we have multi-cloud um, things are highly mobile, asynchronous, and so a, a lot of companies are starting to move away from IP-based controls because they just aren't granular enough. Uh, we need more focus on kind of contextual awareness, um, identity, and in this case, like fingerprinting the actual device we're attached to um, so that 
you know, server A talks to server B, but only because their crypto signatures are allowed to talk to each other. And the, the benefit there is ultimately you can move those apps kind of anywhere in the world. They have the same signature and that policy stays consistent. And so we're seeing a trend of that. Um, a few major vendors in the space um, without without naming names, there's there's multiple vendors there that are doing more of that as the kind of the next iteration of what is cloud micro segmentation looks like, um, which has been a really interesting topic. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Well, and it, it struck me too. So tell me if I'm nailing this correctly, but when you talk about uh, being able to authenticate between, say, devices and the roles in which they're performing, it really is back to the central point, which is if you're talking about making sure that roles have the rights, uh, correct rights associated with them at all times, those roles are not just people. Those roles can be devices. Because I was thinking, you know, when you talk about the insider threat, Evans, I was thinking of the fact that um, how often, at least maybe I'm pointing at myself, you forget that the insider threat is not necessarily a rogue employee. Yes, that's a potential issue, but it's the fact that someone may get rights to that rogue employee's authorizations and it becomes someone else that's using the unsuspecting person who, you know, so if that rogue employee falls prey to a, a, a poisoned PDF of some sort that, that um, you know, uh, allows something to install, then they're using those rights to potentially try to escalate to other rights. And so it's not just about saying Bob's a bad guy or, or Jennifer or something like that. It's really about, well, there's a whole cascade of effects that can be potentially prevented because all these are not, nothing is going to solve the problem on its own. It's how these things work together is what it really feels like. Yeah. And yeah, Pearson, yeah, I just no, have and to, I yeah. you, and Mike, Sorry. You, you and Mike really, I mean, you guys hit all the security stuff there. The only other thing I would add there is there's some operational benefits to it also. So, um, you know, it can, uh, uh, help with some with some version control types of issues, those types of things too. So uh, there's some operational benefits to it also, but uh, you guys mailed all the security stuff. Well, I want to, I was going to make, I, I don't mean to make fun of anything, but John Pearson, I don't know, your mood, your lighting gets just kind of more moody as we've gone along here. And it looks great. I don't know. Oh, not that things... I was worried about it. It's uh, we're, we're have a storm rolling in. And oh, that's what earlier, it is. Earlier I had an overhead light that was all shiny and bright. So I killed that, and then the sunshine went away. So I'm balancing. It's gonna begin. I wonder if I could tell time based on the way the shadows falling across your nose or something, <laughs> maybe. But uh, either way, no, you look fine. It, it was just interesting. I didn't know if you were doing that on purpose, but yeah, that makes sense. Your 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 natural light is starting to shift. Oh no, more. it was totally totally on purpose. Obvious. obvious oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm if very, it's better, very good at this. <laughs> well, I'm pointing up, guys. You can see I brought this on screen because uh, John Evans is so desperate to um to 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 oversell at the beginning and. Hats off to you. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Obviously, worldwide technology provides a wealth of benefits here. You guys are examples of the type of uh, uh, intelligence that are employed that, that and, and you're here sharing stories and as little as you've been able to speak, all of that's based on actual customer experience. And a lot of these things come from and where we recommend people go, but is the services that you guys offer. And so this is a page that I'm on that you can link to that is actually linked off of the same place where everybody's probably watching this, especially if you're live and not watching this on YouTube or something. Either way, it's at www.com. But in here, there's not only links to um, the different things that you could potentially take advantage of, but there's services and stuff that you can take uh, advantage of. And I think, let me switch back over. We've also got the SolarWinds article with uh, John's professional picture, wore a tie for that that badge picture, I'm guessing. Uh, something on there, but you look dynamite, very uh, official. And um, uh, But it's a good article. I recommend everybody definitely take a look at that and see about... Um, uh, uh, taking advantage not only of the information within there if that's the next step you want to take but there's also another article link that i highly recommend um again all these are found on the show notes of the page itself where you're watching this show 
But the bottom line is, and John, let's just go ahead and have you say it now. What what is uh, how can worldwide technology help if someone is feeling like this feels overwhelming? This feels like something we should be doing, but I'm not sure how to apply it to my own unique situation. Is that indeed? Um, and and feel free to tell me that we should ask John or or Mike on that. But is yeah, that I how mean, does, the, yeah? So worldwide, absolutely. I mean, I'm not the guy who who goes in and and delivers this, uh, but I mean, I can definitely help with you know helping to set the roadmaps. I've set up CI/CD pipelines in the past for 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 customers. But honestly, I think uh, John and Mike are better equipped to answer that that question. They're the guys who are in the trenches doing this work. All right, Mike, how does how does Worldwide help in these situations? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, Worldwide has a really interesting uh, structure in that we have large organizations within WWT, say, focused on security, uh, on multi-cloud, and uh, and our full developer operation. And these are you know hundred to five hundred. Uh, person business units within WWT, and and we collaborate between teams. You know, I'm I'm on the uh, security team, and John's on the development team, for example, and and we'll cross collaborate. And I think that's exactly what our customers are going through. And and we've yeah. also helped large enterprises build on premises networks, and we're helping those same customers move into the cloud. Um, so it's a very common talk track, and and so we go in and help uh, you know coordinate between customer teams and. Uh, you know, do a lot of things that we're talking about today. So I think uh, WWT is well equipped uh, to handle these conversations. Pearson, you want to give the final word I, here? Sure. Yeah, I was just going to say, Mike set me up for another one of those layups. Um, that's exactly where my head went to. If you're talking about technology, chances are there's someone in worldwide who's not only just an expert, but this has the experience exactly that we're looking for. And we collaborate across these business units constantly. Um, that's one of the the sort of driving impacts that I find just so so um, important about how worldwide can help with these sorts of things. So. Uh, that's perfect. No, guys, thank you so much. I'll put in my quick plug. Uh, if for anyone that may be watching this and thinking, okay, these guys had a lot of the acronyms I didn't know about and a lot of practices that that are going to be really difficult to pull off in my organization. No matter where you are in your own organization, I I highly recommend that you give these call these guys a call in terms of and be feel free to ask. I, what I love about you guys, you always ask my dumb you answer my dumb questions because one of the things I get personally held back sometimes when I know I need to do something but I'm too. I get overly wrapped around the axle trying to figure out how to phrase the question and want to make sure that I'm asking in an intelligent manner or that I've already prepped all the potential materials you're going to ask for. But you guys really don't expect that out of anybody. That's quite nice. But in general, the idea is that you're here to partner, uh, as I've come to learn, and and help people do that uh, for themselves, but also not waste their time doing it in a way that's just not going to be helpful. Uh, nice balance there as well. Guys? Thank you so much for walking us through DevSecOps and John Evans. Thank you for, you promised that you were going to come back and you said, Rob, we'll go back down this. It's not just agile. We need to cover that security. You're right. Let's spend some more time on that. And sure enough, you did. So I appreciate that immensely. But everyone watching here, thank you for uh, tuning in for Tech 37. Keep tuning in. We've got live shows all the time. Uh, WWT.com is your place to go, not only for access to the technology, the labs, incredibly smart people that can help you out of the rut or the problem you're facing right now, but they also... Um, uh, they can do all of that remotely and, uh, and have a wealth of material from the written that these guys are always writing something to the video and everything in between. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm going to go ahead and put this up and uh, we'll call it a day. Take care.